Hello and welcome back to episode two for the Body Acceptance Book Club with myself, Lauren Kendrick, and Chris Rotzinger. <laughs> Say it for me. Rotzinger. Rotzinger. That was a good effort and I've heard that a lot. <laughs> I normally actually say it right. I don't know why it just came out Rotzinger, but got a little tongue-tied. Anyway, if you missed last week's episode, you can still watch it. And I recommend going in order, of course, especially if you're reading the book or you are going along with the book club. Um, I will leave the link to that video down below, or you can get it also an audio version through the Body Acceptance Podcast. And if you want to sign up to join us in the Facebook group and get all the good freebies that come along with joining us, which includes the body acceptance workbook and the study guide that you can use to go along. Um, then I will also leave the link to that in the description box or the show notes, depending on where you are listening to this. So once again, like I said, I am Lauren. I am the author of the body acceptance book, founder of the body acceptance brand. And as I said before, I also have the body acceptance podcast that I release episodes for weekly. And then here we have Chris and she is. Hi, thank you, Lauren. So <laughs> as Lauren mentioned a little bit, um, I am a yoga instructor and mindfulness coach. I've been in the fitness industry for a while, but as my understanding of fitness grew, I shifted more toward yoga and mindfulness to not just focus on the physical body, but also the other aspects of health, like mental and emotional. She'll actually talk a little bit about in today's episode. So Beautiful. I'll leave that there for now. <laughs> yeah, Chris is such a great, I always say this, but you're such a great <laughs> yoga instructor and she does such a great job of embodying body acceptance in her practice and encouraging that for her students. Well, thank you. You've actually been a big help with that. So okay. don't give me too much credit. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. So I decided that I'm actually going to allow Chris to kind of run this episode. I thought it would be fun to give away the control and the reins <laughs> for once, because um, like I said, if you do listen to my podcast, then, you know, most of it as of right now is solo episodes. And sometimes I get tired of having all the control. So <laughs> I'm going to pass it on over to Chris because I trust her and I know that she'll do a great job. I will introduce, uh, so the two chapters we're going to cover in this episode is chapter three, the health concern, and then chapter four, choosing body acceptance. So I will talk about the points for chapter four in a moment, but in chapter three, we're going to cover commenting on other people's bodies and how we feel about that. And then what does healthy a healthy lifestyle or being healthy look like or embody for you. And then how you can actually build sustainable habits that fit your lifestyle, no matter where you're at. All right, Chris. Awesome. So let's jump right into that first main point, commenting on other people's bodies. Um, and we talked a little bit about this beforehand, but I think the bottom line is your body, your business, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people do come at it from this perspective of, I'm just concerned about your health. And um, that can be really frustrating, right? Because whatever it is that they're commenting on, whether it's your weight, um, your strength, your acne, whatever it is, it's only one piece of the puzzle. And that's almost like if you were to come to me as a new fitness client and we're gonna do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I'm like, all right, Lauren, do some bicep curls. And you do. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know how strong you are, I know how healthy you are, we're ready to go. It's only one piece of the puzzle. So it's something we really have to remember both for ourselves and when we're looking at other people. So when we talk about physical aspects being only one piece of the puzzle, both of our health and of us as a whole person, kind of brings up the question, like, have you ever had either positive or negative someone comment on your physical appearance in a way that really stuck with you? Yes, I have actually had both. And I feel that I've been very fortunate because in my adult life, I, I actually have had, I guess, negative comments about my body, um, but not as much as when I was younger. So that was the hard part was being younger, always being told like, you have such a big belly or you're so tall and awkward and freckly. Um, and just told that I was like the fat girl and 
all of those that really stuck with me and led me into my dieting spirals Mm -hmm. and feeling like I wasn't good enough because of my size. And then as I started to diet and lose weight, then I started to get positive comments. Mm -hmm. And then if I would were to stop losing weight or I would plateau for a while and I guess just stay being thin, people assumed by then that like, oh, you're naturally thin. You don't have to work for this. Then it was like, I got a lack of positive comments. And Mm -hmm. then I wanted to get back into losing weight because I felt like, oh, I'm not being validated. It must mean that I'm not doing something like good enough. Um, And then I remember a few years ago, I was at home visiting and we were all dressed up to go out and I was PMSing at this time. Mm -hmm. So I was already sensitive and I was wearing this black dress with like a peplum top. Mm -hmm. So if you know how peplum tops go, they kind of like curve out at Mm -hmm. the waist, but the bottom half of the dress was tight. And I remember my dad looked at me and he goes, I can see your belly. And that's my biggest, um, point of insecurity. And I remember I started crying and I was already in a fragile place too Mm -hmm. with my body image. So I started crying, went into the room and my mom followed me and my brother and they were all like, Lauren, like, don't let it get to you. And why are you being so sensitive? And, but then it stuck with me because then I started body checking in the mirror all the time before I went out. And it was like, confirmed like oh no wonder that's a source of insecurity because that's the part that people always notice and Mm -hmm. point out um so then I worked really hard to lose weight from that point and that's when I got really into bodybuilding and I was successful and got into a smaller body and then that's when the comments started coming at work of people saying like oh, um, I want to go out to eat tonight, but like, I don't know, because, you know, it's not like, I don't want to gain weight or whatever. And I'd be Mm -hmm. like, go enjoy yourself. And then they'd look at me and go, must be easy for you to say, because you're naturally thin. And it went back to that, Mm -hmm. like, great, like, um, no, it almost feels like you can never win. Yeah, (laughs) it's not a great way to do it. Exactly. And I was like, and I actually panicked because I was like, no, actually, it's hard for me to be this size. And I work really hard to be here. And I wanted that um, recognition of how hard I had worked to get my body a certain way. So when I quit dieting a few years ago, and I started to gain weight, and the people who worked with me Mm -hmm. who thought that I was naturally thin, suddenly saw that and to me, it felt like at times they were judging me and that I was almost a failure in their eyes because they're like, you know, oh great, here comes Lauren. And then my friendships, I had actually asked in the early years Mm -hmm. of not dieting anymore, like, please don't comment on my body, whether negative or positive. That's a really powerful boundary to set. It was. And people stopped commenting on my body, whether, I mean, no one talked about weight loss, but no one taught or weight gain, but no one talked about like weight loss either, or not even, it's not that I was losing weight, but no one commented anything like positive about my body or anything. So did that free you up to kind of make your own opinions on it? Or do you feel like that make it harder? With my conditioning at the time, I still felt that like, a lack of commenting meant that I had done something wrong because that was my experiences. It was either I got positive praise Mm -hmm. or negative praise. Yeah. You don't get the gold star. You didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so in my mind, people were making these judgments in their heads that they weren't saying out loud to me. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for me because, you know, when it comes to body acceptance, you wonder all the time, am I doing this right? Because that's what you're used to. Is yeah. When it, I think at least on some level, we're all waiting for someone to just tell us you're doing great. Yeah. Right. But at least in my experience, at the end of the day, the only person that can really tell you that is you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we'll kind of get into a little bit in the next chapter too. But yes. <laughs> so kind of coming from that experience, has it changed how you look at commenting on other people's bodies from the other side? Like you've been in a position where people commented on yours. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a position where you might've been tempted or actually commented on someone else's? Um, If anything, I've done positive praise for Mm -hmm. people's bodies and maybe unknowingly 
made them feel that they had to keep that up or um, that if I didn't maybe validate them next time I saw Mm -hmm. them, it meant they were doing something wrong. I personally have never, as far as I remember, negatively Mm -hmm. commented on someone's body because I saw how much that hurt me in my childhood. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me was that even positive praise. And I know we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. with you. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? For sure. So um, I told Lauren kind of growing up, a lot of the attention I got from my physical looks, my body was intended well. It was seemingly positive things to say. But, you know, as a kid being told, oh, you're so skinny, anything looks good on you. It also creates that counterpoint in your brain that, oh, well, if I'm not skinny, then it won't. Right. Or, oh, you're so pretty. It's like, oh, well do you like me? Cause I'm pretty, if I'm not pretty, what happens then? Mm. So just being really mindful that even if we are making these positive comments, and I think especially growing up, like speaking to children, this might be a bigger concern. Yeah. Um, but there's no right or wrong way to be. So now that's kind of how I try to approach if I'm going to comment on something mm-hmm. for someone, um, just acknowledging that like, there's not a right, there's not a wrong. Maybe like, oh, your outfit looks really nice today, but it doesn't mean it's more or less than other days, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually thought about that before you came over today. Mm -hmm. I'm like, every time she walks in the door, I say, wow, you look cute. (laughs) And I say that to a lot of my friends, but I, uh, as you know, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of, I wouldn't say a fashionista, but like, (laughs) I like to dress up and stuff. So it's something that I like to like look at in others. Right. So I do that a lot with my friends. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I hope that they like if you walked in one day and I didn't say it, you wouldn't think that like, oh, I must not look cute today. <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, I haven't ever thought that, um, but it is something to just kind of be mindful of. Mm. All right. So another thing that you bring up a little bit in the book, and I did want to ask you about because it's something that as a fitness professional, I didn't fully understand it first, Mm -hmm. is the concept of health at every size. So can you just give kind of a brief overview? What exactly does that mean? Um, And any experience you might have with that topic? Yeah, definitely. This is a topic that a lot of people are resistant about, especially those in the fitness industry who have had the belief for so long that your size determines your level of health. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel that that's like such a strong cultural belief that we have to have some experiences for ourselves or we ourselves have to struggle with our weight, but have healthy habits to really truly understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think what repels people before they even dive into the book, because if you don't know, there's a book by Dr. Lindo Bacon called health at every size. And if you would have talked to me, say six or seven Mm -hmm. years ago, I would have scoffed at the idea. Mm -hmm. Like most people do again, because you hear the title health at every size. And you just think that like, it's saying that everyone is healthy at every size. Yeah. And that's exactly (laughs) what I just coming from an outside, seeing that first thought it meant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where a little bit of resistance came up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if you actually read more into Mm -hmm. it and you do more research, you realize that health at every size is more so an inclusive approach to healthy behaviors and healthful attitudes for everybody because fitness and wellness is often more so marketed towards Mm -hmm. a certain kind of person, Yeah, right? Usually a thin white person, maybe middle-class higher than that. And it excludes the idea of larger people because the assumption is that the point of health and wellness is to get smaller Mm -hmm. because that's what makes you healthy. But not every behavior that leads to weight loss is a healthful behavior. And the problem that we run into is with larger people being bullied for everything that they do pretty much, especially if they do it publicly online, like trying to take care of their bodies, say exercising. A good example of that is the, um, the Nike, what are those called? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Nike, um, mannequins. Oh, okay. The Nike (laughs) mannequins, how they were 
size inclusive. They mm-hmm. were showing larger mannequins and, and Nike was trying to be more exclusive with their sizing. And there was such an uproar and so much criticism. And it's like, you know, you expect these people to suddenly be smaller. But you you crit- don't want to support their journey to get there. Well, yeah. And maybe they won't even get there. Mm-hmm. Like fitness is for everybody. Yeah. It, the end goal doesn't have to be to get small because what we don't realize is that there are so many factors that get in the way of someone's mm-hmm. or that determine someone's set point weight. Absolutely. And- it goes back to being one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. It can factor into your weight, but there's so many other things that it may never be that like the catalyst, you know? Exactly. And also Mm -hmm. I want to point out that someone's health is not a prerequisite for basic respect and humanity that we all deserve to exist and we all deserve to be treated with love and respect. And so your feelings about someone being in a larger body because of whatever, however you've been conditioned Mm -hmm. is not giving you the right to bully them or to shame them or to think that you can shame them into any sort of behavior change. Absolutely. And that's such a powerful point to make. And I also want to say that, you know, it's true. We can't shame anyone else into change, but you also can't shame yourself into change. And that was something that I would see a lot from people coming into the gym. They're trying to, you know, beat themselves up to become healthier. And it kind of brings up this question of, you know, where does happiness factor into healthy, right? If you're fighting your body to get to healthy over here, but you're unhappy the whole way through, does that really help? Yeah. So I guess my question then is, can you be healthy without being happy? This dives a little (laughs) bit deeper into the chapter. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but just something Mm -hmm. for you, for the viewers to kind of think about. Um, I know in your story a little bit, you've experienced some methods of trying to be healthy or what you at least thought at the time was healthy, mm-hmm. trying to be what you thought would make you happy, that pushed you through unhappiness. Can you share a little bit of your experience with that? Yeah, definitely. So my idea of what healthy and healthful behaviors looked like, as I kind of talked about before in the past was always weight-based. So anything that it took to get thin was a healthy behavior. And once you got there, you were automatically healthy. Mm -hmm. So especially getting into the bodybuilding world, I would see, I remember watching documentaries of like bodybuilders and the elites. And I would think, wow, they're the healthiest people in the world. It doesn't get any healthier than that. (laughs) And then I started hearing stories from women who competed in especially Mm -hmm. bikini competitions, talking about loss of periods, loss of hair, crazy mood swings, obsession with food. And I started to experience those things myself, Um, not the hair loss, but every other thing. And I started to question, like, is this really what health looks like? Is Mm -hmm. this what it takes to get there? And if it is, I don't want it because I'm genuinely miserable. And so even if I make a commitment to take care of my body in the way that feels right for me, Mm -hmm. and that means that I gain weight, but I gain happiness in the process, at the end of the day, all I wanted, even through Mm -hmm. my weight loss goals was confidence and happiness. And I thought that thinness would automatically get, get me there. But I had gotten so... I had gone below my body's comfortable set Mm -hmm. point weight, which if you don't know what a set point weight is, that's also talked about in the book, health at every size. It's basically your body's healthy weight when you're practicing healthful behaviors. And it looks different for everyone. And like I said, depending on your genetics, your, um, your race, all kinds of things, your height, you know? Yeah. So many things factor into it. Mm -hmm. So I had gone below my set point weight and, you know, hit what they call a plateau. And when you hit a plateau, you think that like, you don't realize it's your body trying to send you a message. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know that I was like, Oh, it's time to fight even harder. Right. Crank up the volume. Yeah. And it goes back to the conversation from chapter one, where Mm -hmm. I was at battle with my body because my body didn't want to be smaller. She was saying, Lauren, this is not healthy for you. And I was saying like, bitch, yes, it is. (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to tackle you into submission because to me right now, it's more important to be thin than it is to be healthy. And I think that even then I knew the difference. I knew Mm -hmm. there was a difference. Um, Or I had at least hit the point where I was like, this isn't a quest for health. This is a quest for 
me to be a certain size and stature in society because then I'll be deemed of like one of the elites because mm-hmm. then I can sit here with my muscles and brag to everybody and then teach them how to have muscles like me mm-hmm. so I had gotten to a point where I was like desperate so mm-hmm. I bought a waist trainer which was so uncomfortable and just killed yeah. me not fun stuff <laughs> no it was horrible and so I tried to wear that around the house and then I started taking diet pills started intermittent fasting I couldn't even function at work because I was just so spacey and hungry and out of it my binging behaviors had gone out of control and thankfully I had resources around me to tell me that like hey you know like you're you're you don't have to live this way Mm -hmm. but anyway that was the the journey of me realizing that oh yeah absolutely and I think you really illustrated how when you fight with your body when you go to war with your body your body's gonna fight back mm-hmm. um and you know not out of spite out to of survival alive, yeah like you're gonna start not feeling as well you're not gonna have as much energy because it doesn't have as much to give you mm-hmm. um which kind of brings us into our second big point of this chapter and that's really taking the time the energy to dive into what does healthy look like for you what do you want it to look like for you mm-hmm. Um, And you talked about how for a long time, healthy meant being skinny, but what it took to get there wasn't actually what you wanted out of life. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times when we're changing, whether it's a change in weight um, or we're chasing, I think I said that wrong, (laughs) Um, but a lot of times when we're chasing this change in our physical appearance, whether it's weight, you know, whether we're trying to get stronger, faster, whatever it is, we're trying to change something about our body. The physical is just what we're looking at. It's not actually what we're wanting to change. It's like you said, that confidence, that happiness. So diving into what is it you want by changing your body and asking yourself, is the process you're chasing actually getting you there? So it sounds in that case, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how your process has changed now that you're actually serving those needs? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, in the past, the quest was thinness. Um, because of what I thought it would bring me. And I remember early on when I started practicing health at every size, mm-hmm. I someone asked the question or someone mentioned that like, hey, how about instead of thinking that um, you can get things through weight loss, how about you go after those things directly? Mm-hmm. And that's where the light bulb kind yeah. of switched. I was like, what? I don't have to go through this like arduous hell in order for me to hope that maybe I could have what I want in life. I can actually just go after it directly. I don't have to wait for permission. I don't have to wait until I'm deemed acceptable in society. Like I can choose to validate myself and have all the things that I want Mm -hmm. at any size that I'm at. And so that's when I started to actually ask myself the questions like, what do I want? my life to look like yeah what do I want to feel in the morning how do I want to feel when I'm interacting with the people that I care about Mm -hmm. um and that really drove all my decisions and habits from that place and it became I eat these foods because they make me feel good and they allow me to show up as the best version of myself and energize and get through my workout I choose to move my body in this way because it helps me fight depression and anxiety and help me Uh, helps me feel at a baseline like good Mm -hmm. every day to get through the creative work that I like to do and to have the spirit and the vibrancy to um to do I don't know just everything that I wanted to do the have the confidence that I do and then it became well okay I now choose to meditate or take time for myself because I noticed that when I do that I show up more fully for others and Mm -hmm. I can be more present for them and it just snowballed from there and it became so different making those decisions where as it used to feel like I have to and it felt like Mm -hmm. I was pushing myself so hard these were things and desires that pulled me yeah toward the direction well I've said before possibly even on last week's episode but your habits should build you up not break you down and it sounds like you really did make that shift Yes. Um, And one more thing I just wanted to add for the listeners. Lauren's done a lot of work on this and she's got a beautiful story. But if you're just getting started with this and you've been chasing 
that physical change, whether it's weight loss or something else, and you're ready to start asking, what is it I'm really trying to change? Give yourself a little grace. That question is not always as easy to answer as Lauren might make it sound. <laughs> um, I mean, this has been a process for you, right? Like six years. Okay. Yes. Because <laughs> I was going to say, that's something that I've gone through as well. Um, when I started to know after moving to Okinawa, my own weight starting to change. I really had to be like, okay, why does this upset me? Mm. And a lot of it actually had to do with my lifestyle had changed. And a lot of the things that I had previously been doing, I wasn't doing anymore. And I missed those things. So once I started chasing after the feelings, chasing after the things I wanted, I started to get back into it. And I don't really care what my weight is. Mm. Um, but it does take some time to dig into that. It's really easy to chase something like weight loss. Everybody's talking about it. It's a lot harder to be like, well, what does that mean to me? So yeah, <laughs> also, thank you for pointing that out because mm -hmm. sometimes I am so deep into this world mm -hmm. that sometimes I forget that, you know, it doesn't come easily and can be, I forget to, I guess, break it down mm -hmm. in simpler terms. Well, uh, I mean, it is simple, but because it's simple doesn't make it easy. Right. And I think right. that's what we forget listening to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the other thing is that just because I have decided to not pursue weight loss or I choose not to, for the most part, it does not mean that my body image issues are magically solved or that I never long for that smaller version of myself because I do all the time, but I know now what I have to give up for that. And so mm -hmm. when I get caught into a spiral where I'm feeling uncomfortable in my body, maybe clothes are fitting differently. I'm realizing that like, wow, I'm up to almost a size 16 when I used to be like a size eight. Mm -hmm. And I am, I look back at who that person was. I even saw a video of me yeah. the other day, like six years ago when I started this journey and I was so meek and just so like my voice was high pitched. I was so unsure of myself mm -hmm. and I know who I was during that time and it's not who I choose to be. So I can be inundated with those thoughts of wishing that my body were smaller because it's all around me. Mm -hmm. The messaging is all around us. So there's nothing wrong with you if you feel that you want to be in a smaller body or you want to lose weight yeah I think that whenever that happens you can just go back to the question of what we were just talking about of how do I want to feel mm -hmm. what am I actually trying to accomplish like Chris realized that she was actually feeling uncomfortable in her body and and strange because mm -hmm. she was out of her normal routine yeah I wasn't doing the other things that fulfilled me so. Right. And she thought that, or I mean, mm -hmm. did you think that yeah. weight loss would be the answer um, to feeling how, like right again or? Yes and no. Um, you know, that thought popped up in me and I'm like, oh my gosh, my weight is changing. I need to get back to who I was. Mm -hmm. um, and diving into that a little bit more, you know, through journaling and through process. And again, it, it does take some time, but I realized I did want to get back to who I was before, not because she was 10 pounds lighter than me, but because she was active. She was getting outside. She was hanging out with friends. She was doing the things that she loved. Mm. And that's really what I was chasing. Gotcha. But. So when you started doing those things, you felt like you again, yeah. right? And that's often what happens. We take, when we're out of our routine, we take it out on our bodies and mm -hmm. we assume that it's our body's fault because we've maybe gained a few pounds when in actuality, it's usually something that's off in our, in our routines or our lives. And that's, you know, yeah. when you have those thoughts, I would pay more attention because it's usually a sign. Exactly. And I used to think of thoughts like that, or, you know, if something was off in my body, even not weight gain, but maybe my stomach was upset, or I was getting more headaches, mm -hmm. I would see it as a problem to be solved. I'm like, oh, I have to fix this. Mm -hmm. And shifting out of that mindset into, oh, this is a message from my body. My body's trying to tell me something. It's trying to help me has been so incredible. <laughs> like just realizing that we are on the same team. Mm -hmm. I don't have to fix my body. I don't have to correct it. I just have to listen to it and respond. It's been huge. <laughs> I love that reframe. And also recognizing too, that if you're not able to quote unquote, fix something, mm -hmm. or maybe your body is trying to tell you something and it's 
not always going to go away overnight. Like for me with my blood pressure or my thyroid, or it's easy for me to beat myself up and think that it's something that I'm doing wrong or that I've done wrong Mm -hmm. when those are things that are a long game. And yes, I can pay attention. And that's why I choose to, you know, I've chosen to increase my cardio and lower my stress levels to help with that doesn't mean it's going to magically go away because blood pressure is very high. Blood pressure is very genetic in my family. And even after taking medication, most of us still have high blood pressure. And my job is just to do my best and to monitor how I'm feeling and how I'm treating my body and kind of just allowing what is to be. And that's really hard to release control of. It is. But I think that's the root of body acceptance is even if you are trying to maybe lower your blood pressure and you're playing this long game, doing these things that are good for you, you can still love and accept your body exactly as it is right now. Mm. So I love that. Thank you. <laughs> said. Thank you. Um, so concluding chapter three, talking about the health concern and really just a reminder to understand what you want out of your health. What does healthy mean to you? What, how does happy factor into that? And once you really have that vision of what you want your life and your health to look like, how can we start achieving that? What would be the next steps that you would recommend? So the next steps I would say is looking at that vision of how you want to reverse engineer your life of, you know, after you question like, who do I want to become? um, Who, what version of myself am I stepping into? I think we a lot of us or most of us know deep down mm-hmm. what we want out of life if we really, you know, dig for it. Yeah. So it's about getting clear on that vision um, and doing that through either journaling or the body acceptance workbook that you got for free for joining this actually dives a lot mm-hmm. into helping you develop that vision. And then from there, I would say, at least this is what I did mm-hmm. when I was starting out is you think about what in your life right now is giving you the biggest pain point, okay. which is causing say the most tension. Like, what do you feel you really need to change right mm-hmm. now and start smaller than you think that you need <laughs> to, because if you try overnight to overhaul everything, like we've talked about before, you're just going to get overwhelmed and it's not going to last. And so you think about like, not only what feels most important for me right now to change, but then what is one thing that I can do that will impact all other areas of my life or most of the other areas. So you want to think of simple things that will have a large impact in other words. So one example of that is movement. Movement has so many benefits. If you, Chris, want to talk about the benefits of movement. (laughs) Oh gosh, I could go on that with ever, Um, but I do want to build a little bit off something else you said in breaking things down. So If you're on board with this, you're like, hey, I want to try some movement. It's a fantastic keystone habit, meaning that it's a habit that once we choose movement, we start to choose other things that support that. Um, But break it down. Don't tell yourself, okay, I'm choosing movement. I have to go to yoga every single day, one hour a day. Break it down smaller than that. Break it down to the point where you have 99% confidence that you can do this repeatedly. And if that means... I'm going to do five minutes a day of yoga, or I'm going to stand up from my desk for 10 seconds every hour, break it down till it feels very, very manageable and get started with that. And kind of like we talked about, simple isn't always easy. So try to make it as easy as possible and stick with it. And I think that consistency is really going to help. Perfect. And you can apply that to any habit. It's not so much the habit itself, but it's the trigger that leads into the habit. So for example, showing up to the gym for five minutes a day, or even just starting by lacing up your sneakers and, Mm -hmm. or putting on your gym outfit. And if you don't even make it to the gym, that's fine. Just start there. And So think about how can I apply that to other habits that I want to implement? The other important part of that is when you are building habits or you're making changes in your life, you want to think, can I keep this up for life? That's a key question to ask yourself, because especially we're used to the habits that we adopt for weight loss purposes, say trying to cut carbs or Mm -hmm. more extreme measures and you know, you're like, oh, I'm only doing this temporarily to lose a few pounds. There's always that deadline. You're like, oh, I can tough it out for 
30 days a week, whatever it is. Yeah. And then what happens is you go back to your normal behaviors and then you gain the weight and then you're back in that cycle all over again. And so that's another thing that when I'm having a bad body image day and I start to succumb to those feelings of, all right, like I've chosen, I want to lose weight. I've done that. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that look like? And then I'll start to ask myself, what does this take? And then when I think about it, I'm like, okay, anything that I implement has to be something I can do for life. Mm-hmm. Whether that's adding a fruit or a vegetable to every meal, like I just make it realistic in that way yeah. versus like adding things in versus taking things away and making it more complicated. It doesn't have that. to be that complicated. I love that focusing on what you can add to your life rather than what you can strip out of it. Because if we pull out all the things, even if they're things that aren't serving us and we don't add anything in, we're lost. We don't know where to go from here. Well, the key also mm-hmm. kind of tying into what you're saying is the key to breaking a bad habit is to replace it with another habit. That's a mistake that we make also when it yeah. comes to building new habits or getting rid of habits we don't want. Because if you leave a hole there, like Chris was saying, then what do you get? You're going to get anxious. Gonna fill it. Something's going to fill it. And it might be another. Yeah. And if you don't <laughs> choose what fills it, you're kind of leaving it up to the universe. It might work, it might not, but yeah, adding the good that you want is more effective, <laughs> more quickly anyway. Amen. Awesome. So right. you already dive into chapter four. Let's do it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I sounded like a uh, Shania Twain. Yeah. I mean, let's go girls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in chapter four, choosing body acceptance, We're going to talk about the way that we maybe have felt about our appearance and how it makes us worthy or not worthy of love and acceptance. And also, we're going to actually cover a deep question that is quite effective. I'm just going to tease that for now. (laughs) Um, And actually, it asked Chris, like, should we really talk about this? But it made such a big difference early on for me to think about this. So we're going to, we're going to cover it. Um, Maybe get a little uncomfortable for a moment. And then let's talk about your desire for, or just our desire in general for love and acceptance and how that can often lead us into perfectionism and perfectionist tendencies. Okay. So chapter four, let's just dive right in with that first big question. Mm -hmm. It was a big one. (laughs) Have you ever felt that you would be more lovable, more worthy, more accepted if you look different? I know I have. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about it first? Um, sure. Just because I think we have a little bit different stories. Um, actually, this is one of the reasons that I first got into weightlifting, got into fitness is growing up, I was very quiet, very shy, very much a people pleaser, tried to kind of keep in the background. And um, somewhere along the line, I got it in my head that if I physically looked stronger, I would be a stronger, more confident, more assertive person. So I thought that by changing my physical appearance, I could not only change the way the world saw me, but almost the way I saw myself. Mm. And in my case, it kind of worked out. And that's a bit of a rarity, I will say. Um, But through training at the gym, through learning to get physically stronger, I learned to challenge myself in ways and kind of prove that I could show up and do hard things that I did give me a little bit of the confidence to speak up. But I also know that that's not always the case. Sometimes we're chasing a physical change and it almost pushes us in the opposite direction. Yeah, so definitely. What's your experience been and how have you kind of? Well, I actually do want to comment on that because I think part of the reason that I love lifting weights so much Mm -hmm. is because it does make me feel stronger mentally and physically and I do sometimes like looking in the mirror and Mm -hmm. like you know I've always kind of been taller and larger than everyone around me so Mm -hmm. I think that factors into my confidence overall but I don't think that there's anything wrong with feeling that you know like feeling that it's given you some level of confidence or being assertive or more comfortable in your skin and any of this I think anything related to your body and body image that 
can be negative for some. Mm -hmm. There's no need to ever feel guilty or shameful if it is positive for you. I think for all of us, we need to really look at the intent behind what we are desiring, how it's making us feel, what it's taking to get there and ask yourself, like, is it really true? Is it, is, is it realistic that like, I am saying I'm getting stronger and why, and recognizing that like, that's okay if we feel stronger when we have more muscle in our body. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not mm-hmm. saying to anyone that like you should get muscle and this is what it takes <laughs> to be strong and confident. Like that's your own personal journey. That's true. So I love that. Um, and I definitely feel grateful that, you know, my experience with weightlifting and in the gym has helped me build this confidence. Um, but there was also a moment where I was kind of on the edge of maybe taking that too far. And kind of like you said, it's really important to come back to that intention. You know, I did it so that I could feel confident, so that I could feel strong, not necessarily so that I could compete or get my body fat percentage down to like 9%, which were things I considered briefly at a time. Um, So that grounding in the intention of why am I here in the first place really kind of helped pull me back and implement things like weightlifting in a way that serves me still. Can I ask you, what was the moment that you realized that, like, how did you know not to push further? Um, that's a good question. And I'll honestly say that I think I got a little bit lucky. Um, it was actually about the time that we got orders to Okinawa that I was probably at my thinnest, lowest possible body fat percentage that my body ever needed to be. Mm. Um, and for a moment, just moving here, having this big life shift, I got distracted and I wasn't able to continue doing what I was doing at the same intensity. And it was then when I got here and I kind of had to reevaluate having that little pause in between, it gave me the space to look back and say, is this where I wanted to be? Is this something that I want to continue? Um, I think it's so easy sometimes to get wrapped up in this is what I'm doing. And once the ball gets rolling, it keeps rolling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I wish I had a better moment. It was kind of gifted to me. The universe threw me what I needed. Um. (laughs) Even that is a good message though, of Mm -hmm. just sometimes taking the space and the time to pause in our lives because things do really just start to feel so normal, especially if you're in a community like that, where everyone's doing it and you know, we, we rarely stop to check our pulse points and, and, you know, think like, is this serving me? Where is this taking me? And yeah, I just, I think we need to put, we need to build more time in our lives for that reflection. Absolutely. And is that something that you've been able to implement for yourself? Cause I'm still trying to figure out what that habit looks like for me, kind of a regular check-in. Yeah. Um, Well, unofficially, because, you know, I can recommend all these tools and say implement this and that, but (laughs) honestly, for me, a lot of it is being in the habit of checking in with myself and just knowing I I attribute a lot of, a lot of my reflection these days to being an intuitive eater. Mm -hmm. And that sounds funny from a distance but Mm -hmm. the truth is that when I started to learn to eat intuitively and trust my body and myself I am now in the habit of constantly scanning Mm -hmm. and knowing when something feels like it's dipped downward or when something feels like it's gone up or when something feels like it's you know going forward and that might sound abstract but in the last episode we had talked about those moments of pause that we can start to take when you're starting an intuitive journey, because I think intuitively, no matter what, even if you're not learning to eat intuitively, start by learning to live intuitively. And that means checking in with your body and yourself. So Chris, you had mentioned in the last episode Mm -hmm. that, um, you, you, you do set timers or you would need to set timers (laughs) in order to check in with yourself because you asked me, you know, what's the next step Mm -hmm. to, really gauging how you feel on a regular basis. And it means pausing a few times a day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that example, I don't remember how much I shared in the previous episode, but just in case when I'm working, basically anytime I sit down at a desk at a computer, 
I try, it's not perfect, but I try to set a 30 minute timer. And when that timer gets up, I have to walk away from my computer. And whether I just get up, go pet my dog, walk down the hall, go pee, like whatever it is, just trying to create that space because I have learned from experience that I am very go, go, go. Once the ball gets rolling, it's never, ever going to stop. And I used to do things like skip a meal unintentionally just because I was working, getting great work done, doing awesome things and feeling great about that, but not taking the time to check in with myself. So that has definitely been an evolution for me, if you will. Yeah. And I think it's a good point too, because a lot of people get really into their work days or Mm -hmm. feel that their hunger is a burden. And I've talked to friends who have ADHD and it really is easy for them to get through the day without eating anything. And then, you know, those could be the people that end up binging at night or just never fully nourish their bodies. And they know that they need to eat more. And so just recognize and remember that you can build these habits into your day and make them work for your lifestyle. The simpler, the better. Like Chris said, she sets a timer and she holds herself accountable to just take a few breaths, not actual physical breaths, like (laughs) take a beat. Sometimes it's literally honest, (laughs) close my eyes and breathe. Exactly. And so that's part of going back into chapter three, what habits are you building? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not ready to implement an exercise or movement habit. Maybe you are ready to start taking a break throughout your day. And that means just setting a timer every few hours for two to five minutes just to check in. I love that. And once you create that space, it allows you to really be thinking of how do I feel? How do I want to feel? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just creating that space allows you to do things with a little bit more intention, um, which I think kind of segues nicely into our big question of this episode. Um, And this is a question that Lauren talks about a little bit in the book, and she gets into some of her answer there. But it's also something that really helps you shift your lifestyle, not just your habits, but kind of your mindset, everything you were doing. Mm-hmm. That question is, what would people say at your funeral? Mm-hmm. What do you want them to say about you? Or what would they currently say about the person that you've been? Mm-hmm. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on your experience there? Yes. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories to tell because it's just when I found everything that I did about, mm-hmm. you know, getting rid of my diet mentality and finding food freedom and everything. It all just created this perfect storm where one day I was even listening to a podcast on the way to work and the host posed the question, what would people say at your funeral? And this was still early on when I was very dedicated to the gym and obsessive about what I was eating. So I had gotten to the point where I was skipping parties and social events and stressed about missing days at the gym. And so I, in that moment, I had to honestly ask myself, like right now, what would people say at my funeral? And the answer to that at the time was, well, Lauren has really great willpower. (laughs) She can really hold a diet down. Um, She was always so dedicated to her gym practices, which inspired me. Um, She never ate anything at the parties. (laughs) Like, all these things that I realized, if this is the legacy that I'm leaving mm-hmm. behind, it's not the one that I want to leave behind. Yeah. Like if, if I were to die today and this was the memory that I had left, mm-hmm. it's not me. Yeah. And so that goes back into how I started to reverse engineer my life from the answer of my, the question, what do I want people to say at my funeral? Mm-hmm. And that became, you know, that she was, very, I don't know, present and connected and that she made me feel heard and seen and she inspired and empowered me to be a better version of myself. And she lit up the room and she was just a kind person and, you know, all these things. And that's when I started to become those things little by little, again, just from intentionality of thinking about what habits and activities would get me closer And actually a few years ago, when I was still working a corporate job, we did this gift idea for Christmas that was um, basically everyone would write down something nice about Mm -hmm. everybody. And there was 
it was all the supervisors. So I think there was like 20 or 30 of us and we would each write a line about every person, every Mm -hmm. supervisor. And then whoever was in charge of like the gift or whatever, um, they printed out everything that was said about you on a plaque Mm -hmm. that you could hang up in your cubicle. And I got my plaque and I remember I immediately started crying because all the comments that I'd gotten from everyone was everything that I had wished just years before mm-hmm. that people would say at my funeral. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks. So proof that it really does work. <laughs> yeah. It was like a form of, I guess, manifestation. Mm-hmm. Again, I had the intention and I reverse engineered. I, I feel like I'm overusing that this episode, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's cause it's true. We have, we have to know what we're working toward. Um, even if we don't quite know how we're going to get there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to remember, even as you're answering this question, you might think, oh, I want people to think that I was, you know, um, confident and bubbly and fun and welcoming to everyone. And you're like, well, for so long, I thought that meant that I had to look a certain way. And it can be hard to kind of let that go and just trust that you can move towards these things, no matter how you look, wherever you are right now, right? But we don't exactly have to know how we can are going to get there we just have to know what we want yeah what we're working toward yeah what effect did that question have on you when you read it um so I mean I actually first read it in your book so I was at a different place in my life where I was already kind of working on that journey but it was just a good reminder um for me it made me think a lot about my priorities and the things that I focus my energy and attention on in the day are these the things that are really most important in my life? And the answer right then was no. I first thing when I woke up, I would always jump right into work Mm. because that was the thing I had to get done. So after taking some time to kind of reflect on this, on the type of person that I want to be on the things I want to be remembered for, I don't want people just to remember that, oh, I was productive. I was a quick worker, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I want them to be like, oh, she was very generous. She was very kind. Um, She was very present. And I asked myself, what types of things do I need to do to be that version of me? Mm -hmm. So I've started making little shifts. Like in my day, the first thing I'll do now is walk my dog, get outside, say hello to all my neighbors. Um, And I love that. Now they'll remember me maybe as that goofy little American girl wandering down the street with her dog. But oh, yeah, better than, <laughs> oh, that neighbor we saw once. Yeah. Right. So it's already starting to kind of manifest in little ways like that. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Another thing that did kind of come up for me going through, what do I want people to say about me? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? Um, is for a long time, I really struggled with perfectionism, this idea that I need to be perfect. And it kind of hit me as an aha that nobody at my funeral is ever going to say, oh, Chris was perfect. No matter how great I am, no matter how much they like me, they're not going to say it because it's not an achievable thing. And it really got me wondering like, well, if it's not an achievable thing, why am I striving so hard for it? Why am I putting so much pressure on myself? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really kind of a rude awakening in a way. Um, But yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. So this idea that if I was perfect, then I would be worthy, mm-hmm. um, both, you know, in physical appearance and in the things that I did. And you start to realize chasing this unattainable thing that it starts to take away more than it offers. Um, but I don't know, have you felt that at all? Like, what has your experience been chasing after perfectionism? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like perfectionism was the root of everything or Mm -hmm. at least the catalyst for the choices that I was making for my body and for myself because from a young age when I was teased for my weight and not being quote-unquote pretty enough Mm -hmm. I thought well if I just was if I just looked perfect then people would assume everything else about me was perfect at the same time, I was raised in a household that was very strict and perfection driven. I remember, you know, we were raised Christian and 
the church, I don't know, you're given this message that like only God's perfect, but that you're also supposed to try. Yeah, you're supposed to try to be like him, right? Right. To, in order to be accepted and even by the church members. And I remember even my dad saying once in like a fit of rage that like he was perfect. And I had seen him as such a flawed human being, not because, you know, I was judging him, but like, we're all so flawed and, yeah. you know, how could, he think that way, but it just made me think that like, okay, maybe it's something I can strive for and that I should strive for not only to be worthy by society's standards, but in God's eyes at the time. Now I no longer resonate with religion for a lot of reasons, but that was one of them that I had to detach from the idea that I had to become perfect in order to be accepted and worthy but that's something that followed me into my adult life and still gets me sometimes is thinking that like I have to have my clothes perfect and I have to look perfect around my friends I you know nothing in my teeth or nothing embarrassing or I can't say anything you know ridiculous which I do all the time and (laughs) whatever but then I find myself beating myself up for it and not wanting to be seen a certain way by people. And I have to ask myself, you know, like, why is that? Why am I trying to control the narrative so much? And it's because I still sometimes have this attachment that if I'm perfect, then I will be worthy enough. But I think where it has gotten me in a lot of cases is to a point where I become unrelatable. People can sense when Mm -hmm. you're just not really being yourself or you're, you're trying to be perfect Uh Like I'm watching, um, I'm watching Dancing with the Stars right now and Suni Lee, are you watching that? No, this season? not a season. <laughs> so, so Suni Lee, she's an Olympic medalist mm-hmm. and, but she gets uh, a lot of her feedback is stop trying to look and be so perfect mm-hmm. during your dances because she's used to being in the gymnastics atmosphere, having to be precise and perfect, but that's not how the real world works. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'd say perfectionism has robbed me a lot of joy and connection. Yeah. Those are the two major things. Well, it's funny. You said one of the things that when you're working toward that perfectionism is you don't want to say something's ridiculous. And I was like, I love when you say things that are ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But it's true that robs you of that connection because even if we're both striving for perfectionism, neither one of us is going to achieve it. And if I think you're perfect and I'm not, we can't connect. We're not on that same level. Yeah. Um, And you're not going to feel comfortable being yourself with me because you're going to think like, oh, Lauren's going to judge me because she has it all together and she's perfect. And here I am in my head thinking like (laughs) Chris has it all together. She shows up to yoga and she always has a positive mindset, no matter what, (laughs) like, I can't dare tell her what's really going on in my mind. Yeah. So when we break down and just allow ourselves to be awkward, uncomfortable, whatever it is that lies behind that barrier, um, I think we actually get a lot more out of life. Yeah. And it's the joy to let go. Yeah. Because if you're striving for perfectionism, you don't, even if you're in such a great spot, you don't get to enjoy it. You know what, too, that makes me think, um, whenever I see people, this Mm -hmm. is just like a side, whenever I see people that are really beautiful and quote unquote perfect looking, but they don't seem to have much else to them, they, Mm -hmm. I think for me, feel unreachable, like I've never been attracted to those really pretty, perfect guys mm-hmm. um, just because, or girls, just because I feel that there's like no depth to them. And yeah. I, and I also may pick up on the fact that they have the same tendency toward perfection mm-hmm. that I have where they assume that their appearance is enough. And some people have learned to get by on just their appearance. Oh yeah, you can definitely skate through the society with just that. But do you want to? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And are is that really exactly like? Is that who I want to be? I can work really hard and get cosmetic surgery and yeah. learn to do my makeup the, like perfectly and things like that. But at the end of the day, is that the image? Not necessarily the image, but like. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily the image Mm -hmm. but it's almost what do you have to give up for that and are you willing to 
Yeah. And, and if, again, that's all that I'm presenting to the world, am I really happy? And do I have all the things that I want? And I think I can sometimes sense a deep sadness or just an insecurity in Mm -hmm. someone who's trying to present this perfect version of themselves. So I just personally am not attracted to it. And that's a reminder for me then that like, I'm attracted to people, not just like physically or sexually, Mm -hmm. but like generally I'm attracted, I'm drawn toward people who are just themselves. Mm -hmm. And if I really think about it, it doesn't matter what they look like. I want them to just feel free to be themselves and express their full selves. Well, a lot of times it's those differences. It's those little quirks that make people stand out from the crowd and that draws you into them. Yes. It's the quirks. Yes. And some people lack that when they make it just about the external. Yeah. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to like dig on those people because I understand, I understand Mm -hmm. that desire and that drive to want to look perfectly. Yeah. But I also hope that you know, everyone can eventually find the freedom to be themselves because we don't want to be trapped in this prison of yeah, an external. <laughs> well, it's limiting and it's very fragile too. If you put all this time, all this energy into creating that quote unquote perfect physical appearance, you know, one bad day, one bad haircut, one pimple, and it all kind of blows up. And what are you left with? Mm. And it almost kind of takes you back to that. Well, what are people going to say at your funeral? Oh, but she was beautiful. Mm. That's it. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that's also what I love about body acceptance is it gives you the strength and empowers you to know that like, no matter what, Mm -hmm. even if someone does insult you or leave a mean comment on your video or your dad points out your belly or anything, you know that you'll be okay because at the end of the day, you know that you have your own back and that you choose to validate yourself. Oh yeah. Or that you can choose if you haven't already, that that Mm -hmm. option's available to you. And ultimately you're the only one who really can validate yourself. You know, we wait so long for other people to tell us that we're doing it right to give us that gold star, but we'll keep chasing that validation forever until we can learn to give it to ourselves. Yeah. It's like being constantly thirsty and (laughs) just crawling through the desert, Mm -hmm. not knowing that maybe there's like a water bottle right next to you that you've been ignoring for so long because you thought someone had to bring you you. keep looking out for it yeah exactly well said one thing to kind of reflect on as you're going back through this week's discussion this week's chapters is with that identity just taking note of what labels good bad otherwise are on yourself whether you put them there other people put them there and maybe taking note of where they came from but also whether or not they're still serving you because kind of like we talked about with the validation, you can give it to yourself. You can choose to embrace those labels. Mm-hmm. We can choose to let them go. And what's an example of a label? Oh gosh, it can be anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you grew up people telling you, oh, you're very pretty. You're very skinny. Oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, you're smart. You're strong. Any of these things are labels that people can put on us. Um, it might even be something that you self-identify, oh, I'm, I'm a yoga instructor. So because of that, I need to look a certain way. Mm. Are those labels truly helping me? Maybe yes, maybe no. I'm a bad listener. I'm a good listener. Yeah. Even little things like that. All the things you've been telling yourself or hearing from others and have kind of internalized. Take a moment to reflect on those and see if that's who you want to be because you get the choice. So other than the identity, anything else that you would recommend listeners kind of reflect on or key takeaways you'd want them to hold on to from this discussion today? Definitely. I would say this is just a good time to start forming the identity of who you're working toward becoming. And whether that's getting clear on, like Chris said, the labels that you have on yourself right now, um, whatever, because we kind of throughout the episode said the identity piece. Mm -hmm in a lot of different ways. So choose one of the ways that resonates with you, whether that's, you know, what people, what you want people to say at your funeral or how you can reverse engineer your life. Maybe you already kind of know the person that you want to become, but just just starting to get clear on that and then deciding 
what habits that you want to build on from there. And as I said before, the body acceptance workbook is a great tool if you're really desiring to dig deeper. But now is a good time to start to reflect on and, you know, maybe talk in the group. Let us know what really came to you throughout this episode. If you had, say, an aha moment about identity and you kind of want to talk about, you know, just let those those thoughts and those feelings out about the identity that you're in right now and who you want to become. And maybe let us know one or two habits that you can start implementing right now to start to shift your identity just a little bit at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Use that group as a resource. Um, also, if you have questions for us, something that we covered today or anything you'd like to hear more about or ask our lovely author here, use that group as a resource for it and we'd be more than happy to connect with you and hear your stories. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris, for hosting today. I know it was a little bit uncomfortable for both of us, actually. (laughs) We had talked about this. Um, Being the host, there's pressure on you to keep the conversation flowing in a smooth way. And then also being the one, um, what's the opposite of the host? Mm, Almost an interview. (laughs) Being the guest is a little bit uncomfortable, too, because as she's making the conversation flow and asking me questions, I'm hoping that I have the answer and, you know, worrying like, oh my gosh, I'm the author here. Like, what if I don't have the right things to say? And really what came to me and what I learned from this experience is that I don't have to always have the right answer. And there really isn't always one right answer. And also to trust myself and to trust that I know this stuff more than I realize Mm -hmm. that I do. And that whatever comes in the moment, I just need to tap into my intuition and trust that. What did you learn from that experience? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I love yourself. <laughs> but yeah, I love that just rather than striving for the perfectionism, rather than trying to say the right thing or transition the right way, um, I had to open up a little bit more and allow myself to say what I was feeling mm. rather than what I thought you needed to hear, the listeners needed to hear. Um, and honestly, just be a little bit more present and authentic, which is always a humbling and wonderful experience. Yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. You did a great job. And the other thing that helps is that we can always edit things. And I think <laughs> that that takes some of the pressure off. So now you kind of know that when I lose my train of thought and I space out <laughs> in the middle of an episode, that's what's happening. Yeah. But it's realistic. Yeah. And I like it. Yes. And we are going to display our imperfections and everything. We definitely practice what we preach. So thank you again for being here and we will see you in the next episode next week. And we're going to chat about chapters four or excuse me, five and six, which are what? Oh, speaking love into your body is six. The whammy. I think chapter six is the big one. Um, where we talk about, I think actually chapter six is where we get really deep into habit building. So if you don't want to get too much into that yet, why can't I find it? Let's see. Maybe it takes two. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't want to get too much into habit building, I cover that way more in depth. Oh, here we go. Chapter six, the all or something approach to making sustainable habit changes. Yes. Okay. So this week, just focus on the identity you're trying to create. And then next week we'll cover the habits in more depth. All right. We will see you then. Bye. Bye.